Scoring your 100th career Formula One podium twice. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Somehow, I think George Russell would disagree with this sentiment. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 426 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And, well, if there was any doubts about the state of the field after Bahrain in Formula One, welcome to what us trading card players would call a tier zero situation. <laughs> yes, Red Bull really are that good. Yes, there will be no compromises and sinners will be left with no quarter. Hey, everybody. Let's talk about Formula One in Saudi Arabia. Uh, <laughs> let's go around the horn real quick. First up, returning from Sebring. How was it, my man, first and foremost? Uh, RJ O'Connell. Um, without giving away too much, because we are going to talk a little bit about Super Sebring um, uh, in a later episode, probably by the time you listen to this, but uh, I had fun. I will not say that it wasn't busy because it very much was uh, mm. with two marquee international endurance races separated by 24 hours apart from one another and all the logistics to come with it. But um, I, I had a good time. It was also fun uh, getting to work in person for the first time with the, with the, with the previous guest of our show, Stephen Kilby, who's now back full time mm. with daily sports car as the deputy editor uh, big things on that front to come. Um, if you've never been to Sebring, by the way, because I've been there a couple times, and I tell you, it hits different when there's people there. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> I can imagine. I can only imagine. More on that, as RJ alluded to, because our next episode will be a Super Sebring special. So, uh, yeah, the WEC season opener, the 1,000 miles of Sebring, and IMSA's 12 hours of Sebring will all be covered in one neat little bow and delivered in audio form later on this week. Also joining us, as ever, Cam Buckley. Hey, I, don't, I just don't really want to talk about Sebring. <laughs> we don't have to talk. This is our Formula One episode. Uh, we'll talk, talk about, about Sabring later either. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I just am tired of Porsches ending up atop one another. Yeah, that that preferably, you know, would it's, it's would amazing. All three cars. All three cars that I root for in IMSA GTP all hitting each other all in one incident. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I watched that and I saw Wayne Taylor's face after it happened and you could see you, he was about to blow a gasket. It was, uh, it was, was like surprisingly was... reserved about it afterwards. We'll talk about it more on, uh, mm. on our Super Sabering episode. But, you know, it's just amazing. The beatings have continued and morale is has no signs of improving right now. If anything, it's lower than ever after, after this race because uh, Red Bull showed a chink in the armor briefly. Max Verstappen didn't qualify on pole. He didn't hammer the field over a single lap in qualifying, and he actually had to start from P15. Not that it mattered because Red Bull still finished one and two, took the fastest lap point, which means they still have a 100% points record on the year so far. Brackets. Remember, there was no fastest lap point in Bahrain. Yeah, anyway. As good as a maximum score. Yeah. Uh, they've been perfect through the year so far, essentially. So, yeah, we'll be talking a lot about that and the fact that, hey, Sergio Perez maintains his reputation of king of the streets with his uh, fourth win 
uh, at Red Bull, uh, his fifth of his career, and his fourth win on a street circuit. We know these things turn out. Um, and making what we can make of that fight for the win in general, we'll be talking about stewarding, everybody's favorite subject but on I thought the we show. Fixed that. No, we definitely fixed it. It's why it's come up again in our set list. It's it's purely for entertainment purposes. Oh, God, only. what did Michael Massey do now? Because we had three different race results come through regarding how this race actually turned out in the end. And yes, we got to talk about the stewarding again. Everybody loves to see it. And by that, I mean like going to the dentist and pulling teeth. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about the state of the midfield as well, because that is actually quite fun if you ignore the fact that the top 10 doesn't score points at the moment. Well, well, half the top only, 10. Not- only the top 10 yeah. score points at the moment. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a weird one because the power structure of F1 right now might be in a really weird place. We'll talk about that a little bit in detail later on in the show. But before we get into that, we'll have a quick bit of housekeeping for places you can find us. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com, same slash line, Twitter, and Motorsport underscore 101, where you can now see all of our season predictions on Twitter because our friend of the show and yours, Jason, the, the Shuckle Poland, put them all up there. And thanks for reminding me that my Alonso prediction has already completely shit the bed. Died on, it died of race one. Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate that. In fairness, I think all of our quote unquote outside the top three predictions are going to get absolutely shattered this year. Yeah, they're going to get blown up. Uh, we we None of us knew just what a weapon Aston Martin had under their hands the whole time. But hey, what, what can you do? Um, we, uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter personally, you can at uh, Dre underscore WTF1 at RJ O'Connell. It's OK. He's got his account back now. And it's Cam Buckley at cbuckley nine. One seven. We're on Instagram and Motorsport 101 pod for updates there. And all of my thoughts, as ever, regarding the big three, MotoGP, Formula One, and IndyCar, will be uh, out there in race review form on our website, motorsport101.com. It's a fun time. Apparently, you guys seem to be really excited that I'm still doing this. And just to clarify, because people have asked, a lot of people have asked, actually, DMs and emails and what have you, the race reviews will continue, even though I'm at WTF1. I promise you they are going nowhere. I actually do genuinely really enjoy writing them, and I can't write 2,000-word think pieces on WTF1's website. Um, so don't worry. They're going nowhere. I promise they'll be there for your enjoyment for the big three as we go on. So, yeah, uh, don't worry. Uh, thanks for all the kind words. I did really appreciate it. And, of course, if you'd like to follow us on Patreon, you can at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Five bucks gets you early access to all these episodes before they go live to the public. You can uh, you can up that to 10 to get uh, access to the supporters club of our Discord server. We can listen to these shows live as they're being recorded. Thanks, everyone, that tunes in via that. And thanks, of course, for backing us on there financially. We're, we're very, very grateful for that. Fellas, should we talk about Saudi Arabia? Oh boy, that's a that's a loaded that's a loaded question without contest. Oh yeah, I, I I'm not touching this one. <laughs> this is also very fair and very wise. Let's talk about the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix right after this. Gentlemen, back to back one two finishes for Red Bull to start the 2023 season. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the result you expect. But how we got here was very different. Uh, after a drivetrain failure eliminated Matt's first happened from Q2, leaving him to start 15th place, Sergio Perez 
want his second career pole position after an early safety car. Let him build a five-second advantage that Max Verstappen just couldn't overcome. Max Sergio Perez gets his fifth career win. Now, there was some controversy, though, as Verstappen took the bonus fastest lap point on the fast on the final lap of the race, much to Checo's dismay. Uh, this is this is kind of reheating an old flame from Monaco from Sao Paulo last year. Dre. What do you make of this? Obviously, Red Bull looked the business at Saudi Arabia. Mm. They were in a class of their own. Is there anything new to add to this rival rivalry that we haven't already seen? I think this is a case where a lot of people want there to be more to this beef. I'm not fully convinced there actually is, but... I mean, for what it's worth, looking at the listening to the radio messages as the race went on, it was pretty clear Red Bull, from a management standpoint, were trying to play this down. They base, I mean, there was one that jumped off to me was a radio message to Perez where they said to him, "Target lap time thirty three zero, and then Perez was asking, "Oh, well, what's Max doing right now?" And I think his engineer said thirty two six which I think was about as polite a way as saying, look, we're telling you to run to this lap time, but we kind of know the other guy ain't listening. Um, and, and that probably wasn't ideal. Verstappen, I think, had this attitude of, well, he spent half the race thinking that his drivetrain might fail again. It, almost like he was hearing things regarding whether it was actually working or not. And I think his attitude was, well, sod it. If it's going to break, I'm going to, it's going to break with me trying to win this race rather than me trying to take second. And I think combine that with him taking the fastest lap on the final lap under Checo's nose. It. <sighs> I can't help but shake the feeling that Verstappen is very, very bad at picking his battles, but none of this really matters because we still know how good Max is in relation to Perez. And it's a shame because I think this was arguably Perez's greatest driver as a Red Bull driver. I thought he was outstanding in this race. I would take the arguably claim right off of that. I think he was great. He completely dictated every term of engagement. He didn't panic. When Alonso overtook him early doors, got him back on the DR straight away. Everybody's going crazy. Fernando Alonso leads the first corner of the race and then picks up a penalty because that's exactly how things go. <laughs> more, more, on, <laughs> more on that penalty later. I mean, I heard about that shit while waiting for a table at IHOP with the rest of the DSC gang, and I was just like, "Well, if that ain't typical." If that's not, <laughs> were, there, were there any UGE day name drops at that IHOP? Surprisingly, not. I am very sad. <laughs> I'm disappointed um, in you, RJ. <laughs> if, if you were there, if you were there with the crew of Petit Lama 2019, you know what I'm talking about. Look, I had said earlier in the week, at some point, a weekend is going to go to shit for Red Bull, and they're going to have to open the taps and show us what the RB19 can really do. I didn't think I was predicting this weekend when I said that. But my God did not disappoint. This car goes to 11. It goes to plaid. Mm. Um, Please don't sue us, Father Elon. (laughs) Um, Look, (coughs) Max was driving around cars like they were having engine failures. 
Perez, I mean, Perez did get jumped by Alonso into the first two turn, uh, first turn. Waited three laps. The first time of asking on DRS, he just drove right by him. Um, and then he kind of sat there for three or four laps, just kind of managing the car. He started pulling away from Alonso at well over a second a lap. And the Aston, I think we can firmly acknowledge, is the second fastest car in F1 right now. Looks like um, it. I it never really, thought I never thought I'd see not in a million years. Me neither. Not in a million years was I predicting them second best uh, <laughs> after preseason. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, and the sheer superiority of the Red Bull, I think, is now causing people to try and, as, as you said, Dre, kind of create narratives where there aren't any. Um, this is the only real shot we have of any kind of title fight this year is if uh, Perez can give it to Max with any regularity. It's why I called it a tier zero situation in, in the in the preview segment, because for those of us who don't play trading card games competitively like I used to, a tier zero situation is when two thirds of the top cut are all using the same deck, i.e. there's only one way to win. And this is what Formula One is going to be this year. It, it's very much going to be a two car title race. So I can understand why people have dialed up the narrative wick because I think people are realizing that uh, this it's either going to be Perez or Verstappen for the title this year. And look, I, I make no bones about it. Uh, uh, the, the moment this race ended, I was told at WTF1, Dre, do you want to write a script about how this is a bit like 2014? And I'm like, Sure, that'll be fun. Don't get me wrong. It's a very fun script to write. But you could clearly tell where some journos minds were thinking because this is clearly the only the only way we've got. Look, Fernando Alonso is fun and it's genuinely refreshing seeing someone new up the front again. But Perez, he's not winning Perez, the title. Perez <laughs> drove around him like his engine failed. Yeah. I, I mean... Alonso was 25 seconds back and by the time they crossed the flag after... 35 laps of green flag running post-safety car, roughly. I mean, it. I, I had talked about this a little bit in the Discord a couple nights ago, but it's hard to call a car that won 17 races a crude first effort. <laughs> um, but in many ways, that's what last year's Red Bull was because it's brilliant aero platform and it's phenomenal engine were masking the fact that it was a very overweight car with a lot of weight forward in the chassis, so it was understeery and high up in the chassis. So it, it was not nearly as good as it could have been. They corrected that for this year, and we see the result. It's ludicrously overpowered. I mean, Lewis Hamilton, who is the the resident expert on having dominant cars, calls it the most <laughs> dominant car he's ever seen. I think that's a bit cute. Very cute. For Very cute, given uh, given the chief designer of the Mercedes in 2014 said, oh yeah, we were basically having to turn the engine down because we were scared of the FIA coming down on us. <laughs> to, to be fair, Cam, he was going through it this weekend. He had to basically, uh, he told Angela Cullen to piss off, basically. So the man was clearly going through it this weekend. No, from, from, what, I, from what I understand, <laughs> that was a mutual parting of ways. Well... 
there are, th- th- there is a mutual parting of ways from Lewis, and then there's Mercedes basically saying, "Yeah, he fired her." Mm, <laughs> yeah, exactly. we don't don't really know who to believe at this point. But then again, um, it, it's Mercedes. They're a team that is basically built in cringe. So is it hardly surprising that someone that wasn't even an official employee for the team can't leave in a mutual way, allegedly, without it coming across like some sort of fucking soap opera? Well, given they post a passive-aggressive tweet every time Max has an issue, and then Max ramps it by, right back down their throat the next race day. Yeah, I mean, he drove around Lewis on his way back through the field, so he had so much speed on him down the main straight. Lewis didn't even bother fighting it. Yep, this is who they are now, and this is who Red Bull are in, in relation to the field. It's 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 a two man title race. We all we all have to basically just get used to it at this point. I, I mean, like I said, for, for me, it's at the point where it's not just enough for one car to have an issue. If someone else wants to even win a race, both cars need to retire at this rate. Mm. Um, because they have so much straight line speed in addition to just the general lap time. Being down the field is not a concern for them. Nope. Verstappen came from 15th on the grid and would have won this race easily if it wasn't for his own teammate. Yep. This is this is one of the dominant cars of this era, of any era. There's no there's no doubt about that. You feel um, confident calling this after two races on a 23 race season? Uh, absolutely, yes, without question. Fernando Alonso has been the third. Has been the clear third man in the field, and he's lost two races to these two cars by over a minute. <laughs> For me, it's the fact that. Not only is, the only thing that's going to stop them, I think, at this rate is reliability, which does seem a little bit suspect, mainly in their gearbox. It was a right rear drive shaft for Verstappen in practice, or uh, sorry, in qualifying too. And then um, there were concerns in the first race, and they basically had the power units turned down after a couple of laps. It had come out this week in Bahrain. When they open the taps on this car, they have a second in hand on the field. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Mm. Roughly. It's terrifying, and we all better get used to it because we're going to be mentioning this a lot over the course of the next eight months, I reckon. The, like I want to talk so- about something else. I want to talk about something else. Fernando Alonso getting his 100th podium and leading a yeah. few corners of the race. You're yeah. not allowed to celebrate this, RJ. <laughs> you are not allowed to celebrate. You talked it down after preseason. He's oh, an no, Alonso. See, see, he's, see he's, this. He's, he's an Alonso fan. What did you expect? See, he gets th- nothing. See, see this is you the lose. thing. See, Good this day, is the sir. Thing. I know no, you no. love hearing yourself talk, but hear me out here. <laughs> see, it, see, when I call Fernando Alonso not having success, I, I get to enjoy it still when he does have success. Either way, I win. Just like <laughs> Fernando Alonso won his 100th podium, he crossed the line in third place, but. Then he was given a 10-second penalty after the flag for not serving his five-second penalty correctly. So we rhymed back to the start of the race. Remember when Esteban Ocon lined up out of grip position in Bahrain? Well, Fernando Alonso had that same thing happen to him here in Saudi Arabia. Uh, he gets a five-second penalty for that. He has to come in and serve it at his pit stop, but then his rear jackman touches his car in the pit lane before the five seconds are up. But on Aston Martin's right to review, they presented seven different cases where no penalty was applied for touching a car while serving a penalty. 
Hence, the call was overturned. And George well, Russell, now Fernando, host Fernando Alonso a trophy. Fernando Alonso opens the season with back-to-back third-place finishes, two podiums to start the season after scoring two in the previous nine years. To throw some background on this, and I'm going to kind of be paraphrasing what Scott Mitchell Malm had said over at the race. The precedent that is set for this is that the front jack generally is considered as an exception because that kind of defines how you pull into the pit lane for your pit stop. It's been kind of an unwritten rule that you're allowed to hit that, even if you've got a five-second time penalty, but they don't specify the front jack because it is not really a rule so much as it is an exception that is kind of just agreed upon. This time it ended up being the rear jack, which had grazed the uh, end of the gearbox on Alonzo's car during his pit stop before the five seconds had elapsed. But again, there is no particular rule on which jack it has to be. So the seven exceptions were basically all front jacks hitting the cars. And the entire rule was basically built on shaky ground. The, the whole argument because Mer- Mercedes had argued this to the stewards and had initially successfully gotten lobbied for Alonzo to get a penalty, thus getting Russell on the podium. Dre, oh, just, God. just to tie this back, uh, mm. what did you make of this? Is this is this just another case of FIA incompetence? Because it feels like, and I, I hate to sound like a typical Formula One boomer doomer. But it, mm-hmm. it kind of feels like we got to have some more straightforward common sense approaches to all this. Is that fair to say? I, I feel think it's like very, that's fair to yeah. say. I think it's very fair to say. I think that this is a problem when you have rules, technical directives, handshake agreements, and like gentlemen's honor sort of rules or thoughts regarding rules in f1 like it's a mess it, like I, I, I wrote about this in my race review for on, on motorsport 101 and i used two obvious examples i used football or soccer as the americans generally refer to it as and how var the video assistant referee has been implemented into a game that's had its rules largely stay the same for the last 50 years is this the biggest rules-based innovation in soccer since the since the offside rule came into effect, basically, and it's mm. been ropey to say the least. I've made I, I mentioned the frame rates on the cameras. I mentioned the fact that the offside rule itself had a bit of a built-in benefit of the doubt underneath it for attacking players because you know the the general agreement was if a player is level with the last defender, the attacker gets the benefit of the doubt. So, you know, tie goes to the attacker, basically. That's no longer a thing because VAR is now insistent on drawing lines to say to see if somebody's shoulder is onside. If you've watched a game of football that's well, got well, VAR... Trey, what it, what, what it years, basically it ties back into here hmm. is what constitutes, quote-unquote, working on the car. Right. Um, is it touching the car? Is it a jack touching the car? Is it having all hands off? The rules don't really explicitly state it. It's kind of up for interpretation. And every time 
every time it feels like we talk about a rule that is left up for interpretation in Formula One over the last three, four years, two different teams interpret it differently and everyone pipes up about it. Yeah, and this will only happen even more frequently now because Abu Dhabi 2021 has now amplified every stewarding call that will ever come up in this sport ever again because it altered a championship. So now the sport is under even more pressure to get its stewarding and officiating calls consistently correct. The problem is the very culture of the FIA rulebook is bedded in on handshake agreements and leaving rules openly vague so they're open to interpretation. And that's why we've had conflicts like this one in Saudi Arabia this past weekend. It's 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 no coincidence that this is going to keep coming up because now everybody's looking at the rulebook with a finely like with like a fine comb. Trying to figure however out you can get are. those however you can get those points you're going to try and get them whether it's on track or off track, and in this case, I mean, fair play to them. Mercedes were by all accounts pretty much successful. Sure. I want to know. I want to know who at, at uh, Aston Martin had those seven instances like on quick replay, like saved into their YouTube favorites. Oh yeah, they, so they, they can they, show they, the FIA uh, uh, the evidence uh, for their claim. Mike Crack proof. walked in. Mike Crack walked into the room like we stay ready. Like, like, I got receipts. Like what's 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 the German for motherfucker? Um, but, <laughs> now, like like I said, like this is the problem when you've got these general interpretations of the rules and these handshake agreements <coughs> that this is the way we do things. The moment they come under any hard scrutineering, they completely collapse. They completely fall apart because the moment Aston Martin came out with, you know, a, sub- a substantial amount of evidence they probably quickly found together on YouTube clips, left, right, and center, and probably off the back of Esteban Ocon getting hit last week in Bahrain or a couple of oh, weeks ago yeah. in Bahrain, you know, who got clapped for a similar penalty. I mean, in Ocon's case, they they touched the car too early. Basically, you know, it, it was a different reason why they broke that rule. Uh, but but in this case, they touched the car too early, but it's a form of touching the car that has been allowed in the past. Right. And like I said, when it's handshake all, agreement, when it's all in a handshake agreement, the moment someone's like, here's hard evidence, the handshake agreement falls apart. And the stewards pretty much admitted as such when they had to release their right to review letter saying, well, yeah, we had an understanding that. The, you know that the, touching the car before the service was uh, was 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 before the penalty was served was a no go, and Aston Martin were like, "Well, here's the evidence of this not being punished." And the stewards, well, at that point, the stewards have to reverse their call because then they look, they look like idiots if they don't. And yeah, the, the stewards were backed into a corner because everyone's now got three different interpretations of what this rule is. And now the FIA has had to come out publicly and say, yeah, we're going to clarify this rule before the Australian Grand Prix next weekend. It's silly. It is all silly. And this is uh, the question I wanted to pose to you guys. And this was a great one that a uh, friend of the show and former guest Sasha Garlic um, suggested to us. Said, does the FIA do this to make more on-the-spot calls because it seems to be adding jeopardy where it doesn't need it. Like, I wonder, are are they leaving these rules open-ended on purpose? I tend to agree with them on that question. Um, Mm. I actually think think Garlic is... They're they're spot on there. It it feels like it's... 
it, it, it's the need to make a call when at this point to to kind of further frame it the the pit stop had happened it came and went with no incident it was about what 35 minutes later it was actually after the it was on the last lap of the race that it actually went back to the stewards to review yeah it, like the race controller looked at the incident they said no further investigation was required and then oh, looked, as far as they could see the penalty was served fine yeah and then it was the FIA's new race operations center yes that one, our equivalent of VAR that we brought in after Abu Dhabi 2021 to try and fix problems like this on the fun lap of the race said, guys, you might have another look at this real quick. Dre, uh, you mean the one that's meant to have its decisions be final and can't be changed afterwards? The one with Herbie Blash running it, the uh, Charlie Whiting's right-hand man, the race director we all actually like. Or liked, I should say, unfortunately. It's... It's... Yeah... This is this is my overarching point, right? The ROC was brought in precisely for situations like this, where you've got a second booth of operations with all the camera angles, all the footage you need to look in the background and review these sorts of incidents and say clearly, is this a rule break or not? And the fact that the stewards have got a different definition of what that rule is compared to the people in the box that are meant to verify these sorts of incidents. That's a problem. Everybody needs to be on the same page for shit like this. Otherwise, this is going to keep coming up. Like, this was meant to be the solution to part of Michael Massey's problems as race director. And I don't like using his name because... He was a scapegoat for much larger operational problems and within Why the would FIA. Michael Massey do this? But that's the reason why we keep using that phrase, because we know it was more complicated than that. I, I, I mentioned it in the race review, and I'll say it again here. Part of the reason why like, I actually look at Abu Dhabi 2021 partially as a good thing was because in the actual report afterwards, the FIA openly admitted via its report yeah, we've got shortcomings. Yeah, we've got problems. These are the problems that we have as an organization, and here's what we're going to try and do to fix the problem. They were pretty fucking transparent about all of this. And one, and the best solution we got was that the race control system as we knew it got turfed out. It was thrown out and they started over. And this is the first time it's been put on such a big stage and it's completely and folded. fallen apart. Yeah, it's it's fallen apart on the first attempt. It's stupid. Nobody wins here. I, like, I, I feel bad for Fernando Alonso because he had his emotions played with after winning after winning a podium trophy, a milestone I mean, trophy. I, 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 mean, I feel got, bad for George Russell. He, he got to celebrate his podium up on the podium, spray the champagne, all that. And then when he literally, when he was walking down from the podium, they yoinked his trophy off of and gave it to George Russell. Yeah, only for George Russell to have to give it back when they get to Australia. Maybe they should next cut week. it in half, and both of them can take a half home. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, Alonso gets to keep the trophy on evenings and weekends. Shared <laughs> oh custody. We're going through a divorce, we're, but we're gotta spend time with the child. The child's uh, the trophy. Uh, uh, RJ, are we gonna get like a, a Imola two thousand three situation where we have an official trophy handing over ceremony? Between oh. uh, Giancarlo Fischer-Ketta and Kimi Räikkönen, like we got in Brazil. Oh, that would be that would be ridiculous. <laughs> I'd be all for it. 
Jason in the chat says, custody of trophy ladder match. Yes! <laughs> oh my god. By the way, isn't it weird to think that we now live in a timeline where Dominic Mysterio can now win custody of himself? This is an actual thing that Amazing. people have been tracking since 2005, by the way, is the custody of Dominic Mysterio as a defendable WWE championship. Amazing that, and the fact he, he in since that time he's become a prison bitch too. It's amazing how these things turn out. Oh my! God. <laughs> Happy okay. WrestleMania okay. weekend. Anyway, okay, Napa. <laughs> but yeah, like oh, oh I'm, I'm glad the FIA is coming out and trying to clarify this rule. But I have uh, a I have a feeling this is going to keep coming up. Because- I have a feeling this rule will be clarified before we get to Australia of what does and does not constitute touching the car. Mm. Um, but this is just one example. And what happens, uh, we don't need to ask what happens because we just saw what happens every time a rule that is up for interpretation means points on the board if what it gets interpreted one way or another, depending on which team decides to push the boundary of that rule or take it seriously yeah you know it's it's in and that is going to keep coming up because like i said there are rules there are technical directives there are suggestions from race control we've seen it for things like track limits there there will be additional rules that will be laid in place during individual weekends Mm -hmm. it's complicated rules supersede the other guys clearly have interpretations that have been agreed upon under the table in the hope that they never actually crop up. The problem is, from a legal standpoint, is that when a, when you eventually have a case you feel like you're going to win, like that's when it gets serious and that's when all these handshake agreements fall apart. And that's going to keep happening unless the FIA clearly steps in as the governing body they are meant to be and establish, well, where's the line here? And then have them sit down with the teams and say look this is the interpretation no exceptions like and i don't get me wrong this is why rules in rule books keep getting rewritten because you can no rule book is ever perfect and they keep getting revised for good reason because no rule book no rule book will ever cover absolutely everything but it needs to be established when these situations come up when like when is a spade a spade it's, it's that simple because this is going to keep coming up otherwise and it makes everybody look stupid. It, it's bad for the TV product. It's bad for Alonzo. It's bad for George Russell. And it's bad for a sport that needs all the trust it can get with its audience right now, given how the last two years have gone down. No uh, one wins some, in these sorts of scenarios. Does something happen in these last few years? I don't know. No, 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 no nothing ever comes up. Anyway. Anyway, I want to talk, I, but... I really appreciate it. I think it's touching that you say you feel bad for Fernando Alonso. I'm glad we're all coming around on my side of the story. Uh, fellas. <laughs> Not on your luck, sport. <laughs> now, we had some other interesting um, interesting developments in this race. Uh, did anything else stand out to you from this weekend? Because I know you want to talk about the state of the midfield, and I want to I want to well, I want to bring something up here. Uh, is that back in 2002, we used to pay points to only the top sits. And if I did the math correctly, there were 442 points available. Um, Ferrari, McLaren, and Williams, the top three teams in the championship, combined to score 378 of them, which is 85% of those points. Oh, good Lord. 
Well, and that that kind of leads into <laughs> something I had predicted with, I think, a reasonable degree of confidence this preseason in that because of the, how the power structure is kind of played out, the points are basically on lock for the top five teams. Um, the uh, and as we saw this weekend, the only I mean, the only car that didn't basically know was Ark its way home was Lance Stroll, who uh, suffered a, an ERS failure and retired out of a very good position. Man, um, I'll just go down, go down the list. It was both Red Bulls first and second, duh. Then Alonso third, the only Aston Martin. Mm-hmm. Then both Mercs, then yep. both Ferraris. More on them in a minute. And then both Alpines. Alpine actually had a clean weekend, and they broke well clear of everyone else behind them. So, dude, Alpine, we, you find you finally pulled it off. We were we were worried <laughs> about you. This is a great weekend for them. It's a great weekend for them where they see oh, the gap really is still that big, and there's another team ahead of them. But better off than McLaren right now. Hoo-hoo. The it's worst team in Formula One I right now. I didn't even think it would get that bad. Oh, my God. Oh, my fucking they are God. quite literally the worst team in Formula One right now. Like, nothing to add. I have nothing to add to that. Uh, Oscar Piastri put in the, the Lord's work in qualifying, and front wing got broken by Gasly on lap one, basically ruined his weekend. And a piece of his car hit Norris, so he they both had to change front wings. Yep, and then when it, it rains, it pours. And then the part of that front wing hit, like Valtteri Bottas drove over it and ruined the floor of his class. So he was really slow. So that like that one Gasly tap, which Piastri didn't even really blame Gasly for. He said, "Look, he said, well, then them lap one turn one racing deals." Basically, he said to the press afterwards, it ended up ruining three people's races. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. that these things turn out. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's. It's now put an extreme premium on any points that come on offer because uh, I feel so bad for Yuki Sonoda. I always feel uh, bad for Yuki Sonoda. Uh, I, I, now, Kevin, allow me to paint a picture for you. Mm. The Honda engine in the back of that Red Bull is tr- terrifying up against everything else. What does it say about the Alpha Tauri that they can't do shit with that it, car? It's not a good chassis. It really <laughs> isn't. I would argue it's probably the worst chassis overall right Friends, now. Like, yeah, Friends Fr- Toss said, he, you can say it better than I can, Dre. He's done. He said on the record to the media two things that stuck out to me. Number one, I no longer trust the performance targets of my engineers, which is not a good sign. And the second thing he said was about the Alpha Tario 4. Now, I'd like to remind you before I say this sentence that he openly said in the press when they launched their car that Yuki Tsunoda is expected to qualify in Q3s and score points regularly. A month later, he has got on the record and said the Alpha Tauri 8004 lacks, quote, everything needed to be a fast race car. End quote. I mean,. Yuki Tsunoda has put together two argue like legitimate driver of the day contender drives. He's been outstanding. He has been outstanding. He is he is blasting Nick DeVries out of the water. And he has nothing to show for it. Two 11th places. And he got the best strategy he possibly could have had by nailing the safety car timing, getting onto fresh tires, and basically jumping into the points. 
He was an eight for that off after that, yeah. Yeah, eight and the one. Alpines drove around him like he had four flat tires. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, like, like again, that Honda engine. Now, on raw horsepower, not really a lot in it between really all four engines at this point. Yeah. But Honda's engine right now has a legitimate X factor that in, in race trim, they can use that 160 horsepower ERS boost for longer than everyone else can, which means that at the end of the straight, their theoretical, I've heard figures, something like I don't know, 10, 15 horsepower, that advantage becomes that plus 160 at the end of straights. Mm-hmm. Just, 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 it just and didn't matter in the end. And the, that was the only thing keeping Yuki ahead of Magnuson. And eventually, Magnuson, who, by the way, was on nine-lap older hard tires, yeah, eventually got around him. That, the Haas, which is a donkey in race trim. Yeah. And that, that was considered a really good weekend from Haas. Like, Gunther was delighted that K-Man got 10th in the end. If you heard him on the radio, like, Kevin was beaming when he got out of the car. And to bless him, Magnuson and Sonoda shared a very warm handshake after oh, that. a great battle. That was the fight of the race. It was a fantastic fight. And Matt and Hulkenberg was up there for a little bit as well. He wasn't quite as fast as Magnuson on the day. Logan Sargent was up there for a little bit as well, fighting for, like, 11th, 12th, 13th. <laughs> If you want to know how bad things are for McLaren right now, they were having to burn the midnight oil to get one car past the Williams. <laughs> they had to swap them around. They had to put, put Piastri in, in front of Norris. Lando Norris got team orders this weekend. <laughs> Step aside for Oscar Piastri. What the hell's happened down there? How oh. does it feel to be Daniel Ricciardo? On that note, should we also, before we make that point, that that Oscar Piastri getting that car in Q three is a fucking miracle. It's, 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 it's a, almost ridiculous. As, it's almost as much of a miracle as it was that Norris Verstappen at Monaco'd himself and snapped his left front corner in qualifying. Yeah, it's that might, this might have actually been one of the like, like I can't remember a weekend that Lando had it this rough. Yeah, because he, he hit the time. he hit the inside wall in Q one in qualifying and had to start eighteenth. You remember and when he was in Formula Three and like he wrecked out of a race at the Red Bull Ring, and the picture of him sitting sad in the in the gravel became oh, yeah. like a fucking meme for two weeks. That that was that same kind of vibe uh, for this race. But but back to that point, like Alpha Tauri can't score points right now. Haas mm. have to scrape to get a point. Haas McLaren, game. McLaren, they points ain't even on their mind right now. Um, and it places it now a very high premium on any car in that top five group dropping out because it wouldn't have even been relevant if Stroll's car had not failed. Yeah, that would have been a fight for 11th otherwise. Best, of, literal best of the rest on us. <laughs> yeah, the AlphaTauri is great. It just needs to improve on braking, cornering, traction, straight line <laughs> speed, reliability, <laughs> uh, looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it looks fine. Everything I think it looks perfectly good. acceptable. Um, but one team, one thing that we haven't talked about beyond a passing mention so far, Scuderia Ferrari. That was the most anonymous weekend I can remember from two Ferraris ever. Because it's like it's not like anything really went wrong. There was no evidence of haunts in 
throughout this entire weekend. They 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 gave the best they had in qualifying. Leclerc did a very good job to qualify. Um, you know, second um provisionally before the penalty kicked in. Um, they actually. Yeah, we should mention they already have engine penalties because they burnt both sets of control electronics in Bahrain, and yep. they changed both in V6 internal combustion engines going into this race, which means yeah. they now have two of those left on the year. Oh so Leclerc no! To, so Leclerc to start twelfth. They actually they got he started on the soft tire. He actually got into play strategically. They were spot on. They got in with the safety cards. Like, but the thing is, they they got in early and they were looking. Oh, no. they, they'd no, overcut no. Stroll. They and overcut then, Stroll. And, and then, then the safety car screwed him. Yeah, and actually the strategic haunting wasn't actually their fault because they played the right strategy to beat Stroll, and then Stroll's car failed. Yeah. But any thoughts of Bahrain being a one-off were greatly exaggerated. If anything, Bahrain might have actually helped them a little bit. Yeah, because now they know exactly what the problem is. And like I, I, I read an interview with Carlos Sainz after the race, and he was... To his credit, incredibly candid about Ferrari's difficulties. He made it abundantly clear we have so much worse tire deg compared to Merckx and Aston Martin, our main competition, and we have to work around the clock to try and improve that. He openly said it. He said, we struggle with tire deg and we can't follow cars very well in dirty yeah, air. Their, their really car struggle. is actually, they've somehow actually built a car under these regs that is very sensitive to dirty air. Um, you know, the entire thing, these regs were predicated on killing off. Right. Uh, but again, they they were good on the soft. And that was it. Carlos was anonymous on the medium. He couldn't he couldn't get past Stroll and he couldn't catch Russell. And they were atrocious on hards. Yeah, they had no pace. They were the fourth fastest team. Yeah, they openly said, like, yeah, we are behind Merckx and Aston Martin in terms of tire where they struggled on hard stints. And they, they were behind on pace, Dre. Yeah. They're, uh, they're, like, the only thing that car can do is qualify. Yeah, it's good. It's still good over a lap, very good over a lap. But in race trim, it's it's terrible. And signs openly admitted they're working round the clock to try and develop their way out of this problem. Um, but they can't. They can't. They can only upgrade so fast. But they at least they know what the problem is. And when signs signs was asked, "Oh, is 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 this proof it wasn't just the Bahrain problem?" And it was like, "Oh no, it absolutely is more than just the Bahrain problem." Signs was very honest, <laughs> as was Fred Vasseur, because I think his quote was, "Ferrari can't bullshit itself about its current form," which is <laughs> incredibly like. First of all, I'm I amazed he's still alive. I love Fred. I but, honestly, <laughs> but, but I mean, the talk out of Fer- I mean, Ferrari has a whistleblower internally leaking stuff to the Italian media because yeah. there's factions pause of that laughter. team. Pause for laughter. Hey, they have Italian a whistleblower media. in that team, and they have people leaking shit to the media because they don't like the fact that they don't like the way that Vasseur is running the team. Uh, what do you it, mean? It, what do you mean he's gotten them uncomfortable and less complacent? I Ferrari were genuinely about the same pace as they were last year, given the track changes. They have everything that has been done to the F one seventy five because this car is very much a child of last year's car and its concept. Everything they've done has been stagnant. Mercedes and we dunk from a great height on Mercedes for their current plight that is very much self-inflicted. 
This year's car is better than last year's car, even if it's not by much. Ferrari have not taken any steps forward in the last 12 months. Everything they've done has exacerbated the flaws of the F-175 while curing none of its faults. It's it's like it's like Matteo Bonotto's final parting gift was a car with severe fundamental problems. Good luck, Fred. Uh. Yeah, uh, and again, they just—I mean, when Max got to Charles, they just pitted him. They waved the white flag. They didn't need to see what was going to happen down the main straight. Yeah, we surrender because um, the, the only thing they had in Bahrain was straight line speed, and Red Bull was crucifying the field down the straights this weekend. Yeah, two hundred and ten miles an hour for Verstappen, easy. Uh, on, on the and when their wearing was open, their advantage was as much as twenty miles an hour. Yeah, I, I mean, they were able to run effectively. They, they were effectively running spa wings here and running the same times through the corners as the Astons while being vastly quicker and was down the straights. Yeah. Um. So with Red Bull it, number one, odd. Aston and, Martin two, Mercs and Ferrari somewhere between three and four, and then Alpine slotting in at five. Points are going to be a real premium for Williams, Alpha Tauri, Haas, and McLaren at this point because and Alfa the top Romeo. But Alfa Romeo already got some on the board. Yeah, they the got couple four. points. The couple points they have now might be really important later. Yuki Tsunoda's eleventh place somehow might be really important against McLaren in the World Constructors. Countback rule. The countback rule might come into play a lot more frequently now because of this, because it looks like lower end points are going to be a real premium this year. It's why, like, one of the best hot takes I got on Hot Takes Wednesday for WTF when I was running their podcast over there was Formula One should go points down to 15th. And I was like, oh, so you want to go down the MotoGP scoring system road where it's 25. But those who don't know, don't listen to, to, to MotoGP or aren't MotoGP fans. For those who don't know, their scoring system goes 25, 20, 16, 13, 11, and then minus one down to one point for 15th. That might balance the books a little bit. But again, some people believe that you shouldn't be scoring points just for rolling up, even though like IndyCar and NASCAR... When in that when NASCAR had the Winston Cup system, everybody scored something. Same with IndyCar, you get a five point. Same minimum. with IMSA. I don't think it's necessarily should be a case where everyone should score something, but ultimately, like it gives real it gives real importance to the fights down outside the points now, yeah. because right now that's where the fun is going to be this year. There yeah. is a perceivable gap between the, the top five teams from one another. Well, yeah. I can imagine that there was pushback when they expanded it from top six to top eight and from top eight to top 10 and everybody gets more points. I can imagine there was pushback when they decided, oh, yeah, all results now count towards the championship and not just the best 11 out of 16. But the well, teams had less of a say in that situation. And even then, it's like I think people liked the 10 position change because it gave more points towards winning. It made winning more of a priority because the difference between a win and second was seven when F1 <coughs> changed its say, compared it, to two back when, back when it was top eight scoring. Well, hmm. because it, it ended up being changed to try and curb Schumacher's dominance. So Schumacher decided to choose even more violence in response. Yep. So... I don't know. I don't. I, I, to answer that question, I don't know. But um, whether I mean, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer when it comes to whether you want to change the scoring system or not. Because, yeah, like at the moment, 
it's interesting that it looks like there is a clear gap between Alpine and the rest of the field. The, the, the rest of the midfield, 6-10, to 10, is a barn fight right now. Like, everybody is, is laying claim to this. Williams have already scored points, uh, a point. Haas have just scored a point. Bottas got four of them for finishing eighth in Bahrain. You know, McLaren were not a million miles off of that before their car started dying in Bahrain. You know, it, it's a real bar fight below the top five and that in itself will make it interesting the problem is they could be fighting for no points barring shenanigans oh oh, we go back to situations like what we got um that you know turn of the turn of last decade where one really good result early on for a team like hrt or marusha or caterham they basically could have not turned up for the rest of the year Right, because that's already guaranteed them that position in the constructors. Guaranteed. I, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's necessarily necessarily the right way to go about it. It's a fun question. If you feel, hit us up on social media, let us know how you feel about it. I'd love to hear your opinions on this. This is a genuinely I don't think there's I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on this one. I think it's genuinely a matter of perspective. Well, uh, look at the uh, look at the point spread between uh, the top five right now. You've got obviously Red Bull leading. Mm-hmm. Uh, missing one point from the maximum because, again, there was no fastest lap point in uh, Bahrain on 87. Then Aston and Mercedes tied on 38. Then Ferrari on 26, which is what they scored from one car last year in Bahrain. Now they mm. have that after two races. And then Alpine on eight. Good luck to them. It's good. It's, it's going to be a dogfight down there, and there's going to be tens of millions of pounds riding on what could be maybe one or two big weekends. Um, so good luck to debating that one. Mm-hmm. Next Formula One race will be the Australian Grand Prix in a week and a half's time on April first. Uh, but again, as mentioned, our Super Sebring show will be up next, where we discuss IMSA and WEC's new era of uh, of hypercars, of their 12 hours of Sebring, the 1,000 miles of Sebring, both together in one big happy-go-lucky podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll get Cam the counter, basically. Um, also, MotoGP is back this weekend at Portimao! MotoGP is back, baby! Bikes! Go on MotoGP.com on Twitter right now to see a bunch of riders topless, because who doesn't want that material to promote their sport right there? Mm. Oh, you got me acting up. Lots of beef. Lots of beef for your for your viewing pleasure. Um, so yes, their first Grand Prix this weekend, the Portuguese Grand Prix at Portimao this weekend. I do love Portimao. Um, anytime that gets some, some mainline coverage is great. So I'm all for that as a MotoGP season opener. Please be good. Please. Hashtag we- believe in Calyx. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming in May. Someone has to. So yeah, MotoGP this weekend as well, coming up from Portimao. So that'll be early next week as well. So, But uh, yeah, please, you can find us one more time. YouTube, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, Twitter, motorsport underscore 101, at Dre underscore WTF1, at RJ O'Connell, and at C Buckley 917 Instagram, motorsport101pod, website, motorsport101.com, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Until next time, I've been Dre Harrison. Uh, they've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. And until next time, rest peacefully, Commander Zavada. Take care. Later, y'all. You know, Brother Ryan's bet on 13 Red Bull double podiums, I think they lowballed it. <laughs>